I think in order to satisfy being the world's reserve currency, in my opinion, you really need to satisfy four conditions. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Earlier this week, Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby said the right monetary approach calls for prudence and patience, all while the pressure mounts for a pause. On today's special episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Matt Montemoro, and your host, Mackenzie Box, analyze the latest CPI prints north and south of the border. They also discuss a shift in market leadership, an uptick in interest rate volatility, and the quest for de-dollarization. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in, provide your comments and questions. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Matt Montemuro and Alfred Lee, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you to both Matt and Alfred for joining me today. So with that, let's dig in. Big morning this morning. So Matt, we will start with you. We had CPI and the Bank of Canada come in. Can you walk us through what happened? Did anything in the narrative change? And how did the market digest this news? Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely a, a busy, busy day for uh, news, both north and south of the border. So I'll start with uh, the earlier release, 830 this morning, the US CPI for March. It came in at 5%, which uh, is slightly cooler than expectations. I think that's a positive for markets, and but it's probably not enough to hold off the Fed from uh, raising rates again in May. I think uh, if they were going to pause, I think they would want to see a little bit more of a meaningful uh, cooling. So I think they're looking at it as an opportunity to still uh, raise rates uh, at the next meeting. You know, digging into the number, headline CPI rose by 0.1%, leaving that annual rate tracking at 5%, which is both a tick slower than what the consensus had penciled in. While it's a significant downshift from the 6% year-over-year inflation that we saw in February, uh, most of that impact of the strong monthly print falling out was it was the uh, February 2022 print falling out of the calculation. We did see a slight miss versus expectations in March, uh, which mainly came from falling grocery store prices rather than any material slowdown in the underlying inflationary pressures. More important to the Fed's calculus right now, if you look a little bit deeper, prices excluding food and energy, that rose by 0.4% in March, which was in line with uh, expectations, but it's still inconsistent with the Fed's 2% target. 
Uh, you know, if you if you look at the three month annualized pace for core inflation, you know, it's now running at about 5.1 percent, uh, just a tick slower than where we were in February. So, again, we're moving in the right direction, but that core number is still sticky and it's still troublesome. It's still a wide variance from what the Fed's target is. If you look at Chairman Powell's preferred measure of underlying inflationary pre- uh, pressures, core services, prices, excluding shelter, that did show a little bit more progress than the standard uh, X food and energy prices. So if you strip that down, you know, that annual, that three month and annualized rate are running at about 4% and 5.7%. So again, we're moving in the right direction, but still much higher than that Fed target. So, you know, the short term impact today, we've seen one year inflation break evens drop about 10 basis points. So we're seeing expect uh, in the market price in lower inflation expectations, but that does seem to be uh, still a, a challenging number to get to. You know, I think uh, there were Bank of Canada comments today. And I think the the Fed reiterated uh, reiterated it that you know they do feel that inflation continues to be sticky and that the final push kind of from that 3% to 2% target is going to be some of the most challenging. So that is something to, to consider when, when looking at uh, your inflation expectations. Uh, moving to a little bit later this morning in the uh, Bank of Canada uh, decision, they continued their pause uh, and they held the overnight rate at 4.5%. Basically, over the last five weeks since uh, the last rate decision, you know, a lot has happened. Uh, but Bank of Canada continued to go follow its playbook, follow its narrative that they are, are going to continue to pause and keep that policy rate steady at 4.5%. They still warned that the door is open for further hikes and they're going to issue the economy and inflation not uh, stay in check. But right now we are moving in the right direction. While policymakers did acknowledge that the banking sector turmoil outside of Canada, both in the U.S. and Europe, uh, did create some unforeseen challenges, they did imply that they felt that the domestic economy uh, is in a position to absorb it without undue stress. So that was a a positive uh, note coming out of, of today's decision. Um, you know, I think the Bank of Canada overall upgraded its uh, GDP forecast growth from uh, to 1.4 percent to 1 percent. So, you know, that's a positive, especially given the volatility we've seen in the last uh, uh, five weeks. Um, and again, the Bank of Canada did state today that that, that slowdown from 3% CPI to 2% could prove more difficult than what we've seen thus far uh, due to some of the stickiness in the core components of inflation. So, you know, if you're looking at your portfolios, you know, I do think that that means we're going to be in an environment for higher rates for longer, even though, especially in Canada, it does look like we have peaked uh, and we're going to be nearing a peak in the U.S., I think, after the May meeting. Uh, And second, I think there's still room for inflation protection within your portfolio, as I think the market is optimistically pricing in uh, the Fed and Bank of Canada's ability to uh, rear in short-term inflation with those break-evens at sub-3%. That's a pretty lofty target at this point. So if I was looking for some inflation protection there, I would look at something like our uh, ZTIP, ZTIP, our U.S. Short-Term Tips ETF, or our U.S. uh, Tips 
ETF, which is the full term, uh, TIPS, both would perf- uh, provide that inflation protection. And I do think it's still warranted within the portfolio over the next year. Great. Thanks, Matt. We'll see what the next couple months brings for us. Uh, next, we'll turn it over to you, Alfred. We saw the markets get some relief this year and after a difficult year in 2022. Some of the laggards last year, such as technology and quality, have now become the leaders. Can you give us a quick recap of Q1 in equities and what's been driving this leadership change? Sure. Um, So definitely a very different look and feel to the markets this year, uh, which I would say is very refreshing given that we are seeing both the equity market and the bond market recover uh, so far this year in Q1. Um, But definitely, you know, as you mentioned, we're definitely seeing a leadership change here. In uh, 2022, just as a quick reminder, uh, we saw low volatility as, uh, from a factor perspective, being the clear winner in terms of, you know, which factor outperformed. So ZLU, which is our uh, low vol U.S. equity ETF, uh, last year in 2022, we had a performance in total return perspective in Canadian dollars, uh, plus eight percent roughly, uh, which compared to the Z- uh, compared to the S and P 500 as measured by ZSP. Uh, which is our S&P 500 ETF in, in Canadian dollars as well, that was down 12.6%. So uh, ZLU outperformed essentially by 20% last year. So a clear winner uh, just in terms of factor outperformance. Uh, low volatility was definitely the clear winner. Uh, dividend was a distant second, but still uh, pretty strong performance last year, um, positive 2.3%. So essentially a 15% outperformance compared to ZSP. Uh, but last year, you know, the major story was that because the Fed was raising interest rates, uh, long duration stocks essentially struggled in much of 2022. So as a good example, uh, the U.S. technology sector was down roughly about 30 percent in local uh, currency terms. Um, again, much of this was to do with Fed raising rates. Uh, and so in 2022, obviously, we saw the Fed raising rates at the fastest pace in recorded history. But now, you know, as we move into 2023, we're obviously you know, seeing signs that inflation at least is abating. So as Matt mentioned, you know, we got the CPI number this morning, came in lower than expectations. But I think the overall trend is that we are moving in the right direction. Even if you look at the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation, which is the PCE, um, that's trending in the right direction as well. So even though, um, you know, that last little bit of inflation may be tough to get rid of, uh, the good news that is at least, you know, inflation is at least moving in the right direction. But so far this year, I think the major story for both the equity market and the bond market is that, you know, because uh, at least, you know, the trajectory for uh, Fed rate hikes is at least eased up. uh, I think that's been the major driver for the leadership change. Uh, That's been beneficial for, you know, technology stocks, longer duration stocks. Uh, But I think what uh, has also been driving the markets over the last couple of weeks has been the Fed's launch of the BTFP program. So that's the bank term funding program. Uh, so just as a quick recap, uh, this program was essentially launched in early March. Uh, that was essentially the backstop and provide confidence for the regional uh, banks, the U.S. regional banks and other deposit taking institutions. So essentially how the facility works is, you know, for the regional banks that had their health and maturity portfolios uh, that were underwater due to rising interest rates, this facility essentially allows them to deliver those securities as collateral in exchange uh, from the Fed for par value for those securities. So uh, those that are you know, familiar with central bank operations will 
be questioning, you know, how is this not QE? Uh, at the end of the day, it is very much similar to QE. The end effect is essentially it does expand the Fed's balance sheet. So if you look at the Fed's balance sheet over the last 12 months, you know, obviously they've been working very diligently in, in collapsing the balance sheet or shrinking the balance sheet through uh, quantitative tightening. Uh, but the launch of this BTFP program essentially unwound the last six to seven months worth of uh, quantitative tightening. So to a degree, you know, when you look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury uh, since early March, that's a big part of the reason why the 10-year Treasury uh, essentially backed off 60 basis, on, 60 basis points since the beginning of March. Um, so I think with the launch of this facility, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about you know, whether the Fed is going to move rates, uh, whether they're going to be pausing or continue to raise rates. Uh, I think for the most part, I think, you know, the, the launch of this facility does put uh, rate hikes or the direction of interest rates uh, a little bit to the backseat. Because, you know, as I mentioned, this facility very, very much operates uh, in a very similar manner, very similar manner uh, to QE. Um, so since the launch of this program, I think this definitely favors sectors like technology, um, I think, you know, year to date, when you look at the U.S. technology sector, it's already up 20 percent year to date. But I think when you look at, you know, how those technology uh, stocks have rallied, um, there's clearly been a difference uh, between the larger cap technology stocks and the smaller cap technology stocks. So if you look at uh, the NASDAQ 100, which is the index that ZNQ, which is our NASDAQ uh, ETF tracks, that's definitely outperformed the broader NASDAQ composite. So that's a good illustration in how, you know, larger cap technology stocks have outperformed. So I think overall, this is definitely going to favor um, ZUQ, which is our U.S. quality uh, ETF. Um, last year, when you look at quality, it underperformed. But it wasn't really because of the factor. It was it's due to the, its exposure to uh, technology stocks. But when you look at, you know, the technology stocks that are in ZUQ, they tend to be more cash-rich, higher-quality technology names like Google, Microsoft, Apple. You know, those are a few good examples. And in my opinion, those are more utility or you know, consumer staple-like names, which I think were unfairly sold. So I think now with uh, interest rates, at least you know, on the long end of the curve, backing off the launch of this BTFP program, that's going to be beneficial for things like quality, uh, also for technology as well. So another way to play this is through the covered call technology ETF, for example, which is ZWT. Uh, this ETF essentially focuses on the 30 largest uh, technology stocks in the U.S. The benefit of this is that we are also doing uh, cover call overlay on top of this. Uh, so technology, which is a sector that doesn't usually pay dividends, uh, through this cover call overlay, you're going to get about a distribution yield of about 5%. So that's another good way of playing this leadership change uh, in the U.S. equity market as well. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Are your clients looking for enhanced yield and protection against volatility? Check out BMO GAM's monthly covered calls, derivatives, and volatility landscape report, which features the latest performance numbers from BMO's suite of covered call and enhanced yield ETF solutions, including the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF ticker ZWB and the BMO Covered Call US Banks ETF ticker ZWK. Access the report today at bmoetfs.ca. Next, Matt, we'll turn it back to you. March was a very volatile month for the markets. How did fixed income markets perform given this volatility? And you've spoken before that you see value in corporate bonds. And after March, is this still the case? Thanks. 
Yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie. And, you know, year to date, we've seen some strong returns in fixed income. You know, as markets uh, begin to price in a peak in rates and, you know, March, uh, although it was very volatile, uh, it's a testament to why you want fixed income in your portfolio. It's it's really to act as that ballast during you know equity market sell off or equity market volatility. You know we saw S- the SVB crisis. Um, that what that highlighted to me is is that uh, you know bonds uh, bonds rallied during during that period and, and rates fell uh, in the aftermath of kind of the March events. Uh, in the U.S., um, you know, as we were concerned about the U.S. financial system, along with the subsequent problems that were happening in Europe. So, you know, one thing I, I do have some concerns about, and I want to continue to monitor uh, as we move forward, is interest rate volatility. You know, we've continued to see that tick up uh, year to date. It well surpassed some equity market volatility in some periods in March, which is which is very surprising. You know, so this is something that I don't think is. Uh, is a massive concern, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I would expect it to start to subside a little bit, but you know, it's definitely interesting to see interest rate volatility um, pick up the the way it has. You know, if uh, if you look at year to date returns, most of it can be attributed to that move in rates. You know, we've seen rates come down pretty meaningfully as as markets start to price in a potential peak uh, and the p- potential of uh, rate cuts in 2023 uh, in both Canada and the U.S. You know, well, I think that current pricing of cuts is a little bit overly optimistic. I do think that we've hit a near peak in rates and and that will be, you know, at the current overnight levels uh, for longer than, than the market's currently pricing in. You know, so if I'm looking at an attribution perspective, you know, credit performed well in January and February. We saw some outperformance there, um, but those spread gains were really given back in March due to all that volatility that we saw uh, in the U.S. So overall, I continue to be very constructive in credit. You know, I see a lot of a value. I, I see a lot of value in investment grade uh, credit right now. I prefer investment grade versus high yield. I do think that there's some um, uh, there's more distress and downside in high yield over the near term. I think you know uh, a, a longer period of 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 higher rates and higher overnight rate. Um, will cause some financing concerns for for a portion of the high yield market. So I see a little bit of uh, headwinds there, but I am very constructive in investment grade credit. Investment grade spreads right now continue to sit in Canada about 40 to 50 basis points wider than kind of that 10-year historical average. So again, what that tells me is that uh, the credit market is already pricing in an economic slowdown or, or, or a recession. You know, spreads at these levels provide some downside uh, protection as well as the as well as upside because you can lock in some uh, wider spreads, some higher yields in the short end. So, you know, specifically uh, along the curve, I like the short end. Uh, if I was going to pick, I like uh, the BMO short-term corporate bond ETF, the U.S. short-term bond hedge to CAD ETF, and also the BMO ultra short-term bond ETF. So those tickers are ZCS, ZSU, and ZST. All of those are on the short end. Uh, have durations of under three years and yields of close to or over 5%. So, you know, to me, that allows you to limit your interest rate sensitivity right now, take advantage of higher short-term rates, really lock those in, 
Uh, and right now you can kind of play the inverted yield curve to your advantage. And, you know, right now I, I'm still very, very bullish on credit. So I think there's upside in spread tightening. And I think the opportunity to capture uh, yields of 5% uh, with very limited interest rate uh, exposure is very attractive. Great. Thanks, Matt. Amid elevated interest rates and market volatility, consider six BMO ETFs yielding over 6%, including the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, featuring solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Bank's ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity or the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, and ZWU. And last but not least, Alfred, there's lots of talk around the de-dollarization in recent weeks and in the headlines. And also we've seen a few questions from advisors in whether the U.S. dollar can eventually be replaced as the reserve currency. How real are those talks and how would you approach the currency hedging with CAD and USD? It's a good question. I mean, you know, we've definitely got some inbound questions from uh, a number of advisors this week. I, I suspect you know a lot of those questions originate from a number of different headlines. One of the headlines was that the BRICS nations, which now includes Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, now um, those nations have got together to discuss you know creating a unified currency away from the U.S. dollar. Uh, in addition to that, uh, in in late March, Brazil and China also signed an agreement to move away from the U.S. dollar as the settlement currency for uh, foreign trade. And just last week, we saw Saudi Arabia make threats that uh, they wanted to sell oil and currencies outside the U.S. dollars as well. So I think, you know, a combination of all three of those headlines um, are definitely causing some of the advisors to send questions into us. Um, I wouldn't say these are non-events. Um, you know, when you look at BRICS combined GDP compared to the G7 nations, it is bigger from a purchasing power uh, parity perspective. Also, when you look at China and Brazil, you look at their bilateral trade. I looked it up for 2022. It's roughly about 150 billion. So it's not, you know, not. It is pretty meaningful. Um, but in terms of you know whether the U.S. dollar's status as the world's currency uh, reserve currency is you know, could be easily unwound. I, I, you know, I think that's, it would take a very long time, right? You know, keep in mind that a lot of the world's infrastructure is built around, you know, settlement in U.S. dollars. I think in order to satisfy, you know, being the world's reserve currency, in my opinion, you really need to satisfy four conditions. You need to have stable financial markets. You need to have a large and stable economy. You need to have open market trading, which automatically disqualifies the Chinese yuan, um, also, the currency also needs to satisfy the liquidity needs for all the uh, global trading as well. So I think, you know, if you have to meet, if you look at all the currencies and you need to meet meet all those four criteria, it's really only the U.S. dollar that uh, satisfies all those terms. So I think, um, you know, from that perspective, I think the U.S. dollar losing its uh, reserve currency status in the near future is probably very unlikely. 
Um, there's been a lot of people pointing towards, you know, the U.S. dollar index, for example, uh, which is a trade weighted index of the U.S. dollar versus six other foreign currencies. Uh, that's down 11 percent since the end of September. Um, but I think this has more to do with monetary policy. Right. So when you look at, you know, inflation in the U.S. and inflation in the in Europe and Japan, for example, uh, the Fed is much more ahead of reining down or reining in inflation compared to the ECB and compared to the Bank of Japan. So the expectation is that the Fed, just in terms of its interest rate hikes, probably is going to reduce its pace uh, faster than the Bank of Japan and ECB. So that's why we see uh, the U.S. dollar index uh, losing um, losing ground over the last couple of uh, couple of months. In addition to that, we also talked about the BTFP program as well. That also has the potential to devalue the dollar to a degree as well. So I think from a currency hedging perspective, you know, I think if you're looking at CAD versus Euro or Japan, uh, you probably want to take exposure in those underlying currencies just because they're going to be, you know, probably tightening monetary policy where as the Bank of Canada is already paused on interest rate hikes. When it comes to the CAD USD, I think that's a little bit of a tougher call just because I think both central banks you know, compared to other central banks around the world, they've done a, a much better job in raining down inflation. But I think when you look at where the CAD is trading right now, so roughly at about $1.35, that's usually around the upper end of where it trades historically. Uh, in addition to that, you know, when you look at oil, uh, oil prices, you know, they've been weak over the last couple of months, but they do have the potential to move up, um, especially with the demand and supply imbalances. And uh, the headline last week that OPEC Plus is going to cut off capacity as well or reduce capacity. So I think because of that, you probably want to favor Canadian dollar over U.S. dollars. I think when you're investing in U.S. dollar equities or U.S. Uh, bonds, you probably want to hedge that exposure at this point. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I just want to thank everyone for listening in and a special thank you to both Matt and Alfred for providing some great insights. I also want to encourage everyone, if you are looking for any trade ideas or strategy reports to visit our BMO ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, uh, where there's a whole bunch of different reports. Uh, some of our podcasts are stored there. Uh, so if there's anything that you're looking for, I encourage you to look there. And with that, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Matt Montemoro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO MSCI USA High Quality Index ETF, ticker ZUQ, which invests in mature technology companies such as Microsoft and Apple. Our experts also discussed the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ticker ZST, which provides exposure to a diversified mix of short-term fixed income asset classes. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance.
Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.